0: Also, uh, before Brad comes, I um, just want to say something about the upcoming week for our nation. Uh, Jesus Christ is Lord of everything, right? Uh, and that means that he is Lord of the nations. All authority has been given to him in heaven and on earth He is the Lord of all the nations, whether they recognize him as such or not. And that means he is also the Lord of the United States of America. We know from Scripture that uh, God is the one who establishes kings and princes and rulers and judges. And he's the one who causes them to rise up and he's the one who takes them, them down. And there is no one who ever ascends to power in this country or any other's that does so uh, apart from the sovereign allowance of our God who is in complete and absolute control over the affairs of men. And we need to take comfort in that whatever this week may hold. But I also want to say that if Jesus Christ is Lord of everything, then he ought to be Lord of our voting as well. I want to encourage you to, to vote on Tuesday, or maybe maybe some of you already have, uh, but we live in a society that invites our voice. And uh, the first century Christians would just be amazed at the privilege that we possess um, in this society where we can actually go into a voting booth and and have some say over who our leaders are Uh, And and what have you. And they would be baffled that any Christian would just not take advantage of that, that privilege. Uh, So I want to encourage you guys to uh, to vote. And as you vote, I would encourage you to be governed by the law of love. Um, You're thinking ought to be. You should be asking as you go into the voting booth. How can I vote in a way that will do the greatest amount of good for my fellow man? In this society that God has called me to uh, to love, um, how can I vote in a way that that represents uh, the the unborn uh, and others in our society who are not able to defend themselves or speak for themselves? How can I vote in a way that is as consistent as possible with the righteousness of God? Uh, Think about it. God's righteousness is what is best for mankind. And so if we really love our fellow man, we will want to vote in a way that is as consistent as possible with the righteousness of our God. Um, And uh, and then we cast our votes accordingly to the best of our ability. And may it be that we come forth from the voting booth on Tuesday able to say, I have voted according to the law of love. And Jesus Christ has been the Lord of my voting. And whatever the outcome, uh, let us not be a fearful people. God is sovereign. He is in full control. His purposes will come to pass and we are in his hands and we are safe there. And let us pray for whoever comes to power, whether they agree with us or disagree. Let us pray for them. And seek to honor those who come uh, to power. In First Peter 2, verse 17, Peter commands Christians to honor the king, to honor the emperor. And during that time, Nero was the emperor, an exceptionally wicked man. And my theory is that if the first century Christians under Nero could find a way to honor their emperor in obedience to Scripture, then surely... We can find a way to behave ourselves with honor uh, toward those um, that God has sovereignly allowed to be over us as our leaders. So let us behave ourselves this week with beauty and with honor and realize the greatest good that we could ever do to this society is to impart the gospel to others through the words we speak, through the deeds we do, and simply just through the kind of people we are towards those that we live before and, and relate to. If anyone takes a bite out of you this week, may it be that they taste the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the gospel of salvation uh, through him. Well, having heard that sermon, uh, you're due for another one. Uh, we... Um, we're really blessed to have Brad and Julie Lay and uh, their children with us in our service uh, this morning. Uh, they uh, serve as missionaries in Albania, uh, and it's just uh, amazing what has happened in that country over the last couple decades. As doors have swung wide open for the gospel to come to the people and the leaders of. Uh, of Albania and Brad and Julie are are on the front lines along with their children on the front lines uh, just uh, being there, making it their life's ambition to uh, to give the gospel to the people of Albania and help establish gospel centered and Bible teaching uh, churches uh, there. And we're so blessed as a church to be able to be a part of their support team To assist them through our prayers and through our financial support and any encouragements that we can send uh, send their way. Uh, Brad and his family are here in the country uh, for a little while, and um, while they're here, we definitely wanted to give uh, him the opportunity uh, to come and just give us an update on what God is doing in their ministry, and to open up the Word to us so that we can just get a glimpse of both Brad's heart as well as the heart. Of God through him and he's not going to be able to give a huge update in the service, but after the second service, there will be a reception uh, in the modular building uh, and lunch will be provided. So you're all invited to stick around and hear um, what God is doing in their life and in their ministry. But Brad, it's good to have you with us. And why don't you come and let's give our brother a warm cornerstone. Welcome.
1: Well, good morning. It's always a joy to be back here with you and to worship with you and to share God's word with you and just are so grateful for Cornerstone, so grateful for the body and uh, for the leadership and thank you for your support of us. Thank you for your partnership. Thank thank you, Milton, for giving me uh, Time Change Sunday. That's very generous. I mean, you guys are, you got, had, had an extra hour to rest, so no one's going to be falling asleep, and this is the best Sunday to preach, isn't it? Especially first service. So if anyone falls asleep, it's completely my fault. Well, imagine, imagine this is your life, as I describe it now. The moment you wake up, you have a sense of dread about what the day might bring, you say goodbye to your family members. Uh, you say goodbye to your roommates if you're a student. And you wonder if that's the last time you'll see them. As you step out the door, you're conscious of the surroundings. Uh, what's, who's walking by, what they're doing. You're, you're always looking over your shoulder. You're wondering if that might, this might be the last day of your life. Can you imagine... The, the knot in your stomach throughout the day. Can you imagine the worry about your children? What will happen if you die about your loved ones? What will they do? That was exactly the situation of this man and his family, uh, Tani and Alona Proy and their two children. Tani's uncle um, had murdered a man, uh, in a barroom brawl. And because of that, and because of the blood feud mentality and system in Albania, this man who's, who was a pastor in a church in northern Albania, uh, this man now became, along with his 23 male relatives, a potential target for revenge. And at any point in time, someone could come up and, and kill him, shoot him. So he actually left the country. That was really the only option. He left the country for a number of years and then God put it on his heart to come back. He was convicted. How can I leave the sheep as a shepherd? He was a pastor. So he returned to Albania with his family, knowing full well the potential uh, danger, daily danger. In fact, uh, this was a little over two years ago that I got to go up and spend time with him and his family and that's one of the things we do is we, we assist pastors and churches where we have our own church in the capital, Tirana. Uh, but we also travel to assist and to train. And that's what I was doing in the north, this northern city of Skodër. October 8th was the day of 2010. Tani left his house, said goodbye, kissed his wife and children goodbye and and that was the day where he was, his life was taken. And you think about trials in your life. And you think about, just imagine, Alona having to explain to her children that, that what they had feared had actually come to pass. And then going through that, the day-to-day reality of not having a husband, not having a father, and living out that trial, and maybe today you are facing, no doubt, uh, not that situation, I, I would imagine. None of you would be in that situation, but maybe, maybe you've lost a loved one. Maybe uh, you have uh, a family member or a friend that's, that's uh, gone through a medical crisis. Maybe you yourself are uh, facing... Health difficulties, maybe they're financial, maybe relational. And so that's what we're going to talk about today is actually what what do we do when we're when we're facing trials of various kinds. And just to back up, uh, to give you, as it relates to Albania, I'm going to be sharing some just a little bit of what we're doing in Albania and the trials that that uh, we in the church are facing. And you can see. Uh, a map of Albania, and we're in the capital of Tirana, and this is where this northern city was, Škoder, where Pastor Tani lived. And you can see uh, uh, just a view of the city Look from a castle where the boys and I uh, had a father and son retreat. We were able to stay inside the castle grounds. And some of the the beautiful sights of northern Albania, right around the city of Skodër. It's an amazing country. But we're going to be looking at the glorious benefits of trials. When you think of trials, the first thing that pops into your mind is benefits, right? You think, oh, trials are wonderful. There's so many good things that come out of trials, right? That's the last thing you think of. And so Peter is turning the attention of the believers to the benefits, the glorious benefits of trials. And in Peter, really the theme, to to give you just a context of the the book, and maybe you already know this, but just if you can think of it, it, uh, uh, Peter really uh, conveying the the idea of of, uh, the Christian life being like a lighthouse or Christians being like a lighthouse, right? And you think of a lighthouse bashed Continually by the waves and the wind just blowing hurricane force like what happened on the the east coast. And and Peter wants to give the believers hope. Hope in the midst of their trials so that they can shine. Shine to those around them and really be that solid uh, light to those around them. Unshaken, unmoved by the storms of life. And Peter's going to give us four four wonderful benefits of trials. And you probably know already that Peter's writing to believers scattered in modern day what is today modern day Turkey, and he mentions in fact let's just read verses one to one to nine together. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, first Peter one to those who reside as aliens scattered through Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood, may grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. So that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor in the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen Him, you love Him. And though you do not see Him now, but believe in Him, you greatly rejoice with joy, inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. And so... Peter in giving these four benefits four glorious benefits of trials he begins in verse 6 with this he says in this you greatly rejoice and just to back up as you look through verses 1 to 11 what you notice is this is that Peter is describing he's not telling them to do anything if you how many of you are familiar with the book of James you've been you've read the book of james or you've read some you've heard a sermon on it P- james is a little bit different he starts right into exhorting them what peter does is verses 1 to 12 he builds the case for them in order for them to know how to encounter the trials and so 1 through 11 he's just describing to them their wonderful salvation he's describing to them their experience and you see this he says in this you greatly rejoice. And I've got some references. I'm not going to look at the references, but you can write them down if you want to follow up with those and just look into these words. Greatly, re, greatly rejoiced is a word that's used uh, 11 times and really all in the Scriptures. You could say it's a Christian joy and it's found in, in three times in this verse, in 1, 8, and 4, 13, in 1 Peter. Peter uses this word when he's talking to people that are in trials. He's telling them they greatly rejoice. He does it three times throughout the book. And he, he tells us, as we can see in this verse, the circumstances in which they're rejoicing. When are they rejoicing? In the midst of various trials. This is a word that describes a variety or many colors. You think of all the colors that exist in the world and the variety. And so Peter is broadening the, the spectrum and he's saying all kinds of trials. Now, most of the trials that the believers were facing from the letter seemed to be relational and seemed to be as a result of their faith. They became believers. And so their pagan neighbors, their pagan family members, are wondering why they don't live the way they used to. And they're, getting, they're experiencing persecution. This is the main trial. But Peter says, all kinds of trials. I'm just opening it up to include any kind of trial. So whatever trial you're going through, this applies to you as well. Or maybe you're not at the current time. And so you can store this up for those coming days. So it's just a matter of time especially with the way our nation is heading, whether we go with Romney or Obama. I think uh, persecution is ahead for us, is it not? We need to be readying ourselves for those days. and And certainly some of you are facing that even now. So Peter says, in this you rejoice, you greatly rejoice, and I just want to look at that one phrase because it's so important and it brings out this first benefit. What is he referring to when he says, in this? He's obviously referring to something, isn't he? In what? What are you talking about, Peter? And I would say that I think it refers to the previous verse. It could refer to verses 3 to, or really 1 to 5 where Peter is beginning to say, look, this is the wonderful salvation you have. God chose you. You have an inheritance. And everything he describes there, it could refer to all that, and you greatly rejoice in this wonderful salvation. But I think what he's referring to is not verses 1 to 5, but just verse 5. I think he's talking about this. He's saying this, uh, a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time, verse eight. I think that's what he's referring to. Is that the, he's telling the believers, he's reminding them, you greatly rejoice in this last time. It's kind of like a uh, TGIF. What does TGIF stand for? We all know. Thank God it's Friday. Why do we love Fridays, most of us, and in and, and America? Most of us that, that signifies or that signals the end of the work week and the beginning of our weekend, right? It's not that Friday is so wonderful, it's it's what is at Friday. What happens at Friday? It means we're done with our work week and we're at the weekend. And Peter is saying, I think this in the last day, the last time, you rejoice, you greatly rejoice. Because why? You're waiting for this salvation that's going to be revealed on that last time. It's a special time you're, you're looking up. You're looking in anticipation of the coming of Christ. And so I think the first benefit is this. What trials do is that they cause us to focus on final salvation. Our final salvation. And you can see this. There's a contrast... There's one one reason is there's a contrast in time, right? You rejoice, you greatly rejoice in the last time, even though what? Now. So now what's happening? Now you're distressed. Now you're grieving. It's like they have tears in their eyes and they're rejoicing at the same time. That's the... That's the paradox of the Christian life. You have tears in your eyes and you're full of great joy. How is that possible? Well, it's because in the now, for a little time, they're going through these trials, but their eyes are looking upward. They're thinking about the, that final day, that final time when Christ will come and He'll bring to them full salvation. So, what is, what is the natural trajectory of our lives? We're trying to make the now comfortable, aren't we? Right? We, we do that naturally. There's, and there's nothing wrong with it in and of itself. But that's what we're always trying to do is we want to make, we want peace now. We want comfort now. We're trying to do everything we can to make our lives wonderful now. And when our lives are wonderful, when everything's going well, we are longing for heaven, aren't we? Right? When our lives are wonderful. No. We're happy with the now. So what do trials do? What is Peter saying? Because of these trials, you're not, you're not taking joy in the now. You're looking to the future. Your hope is in the future. Your eyes are on that day. You're anticipating that time. That last time, that final time. And just because I know you would really want this, uh, you know, you, you love Greek and grammar, uh, but not to scare you or not to make you go to sleep right now. A final reason is this. Why do I think it's the last time? Well, this is the phrase, and you don't have to look at any of the, uh, the Greek, but just notice I've bolded and I've underlined the W's. You see those W's? Some of you know that that's the omega in Greek. Omega. Right. And if you do any, if you were if you were listening to this being read, what would you hear? You'd hear. Oh, oh, oh. That's what the omega sound makes. Oh, oh, oh. And you would connect those dots. Remember, you kids, you've done that right. Connect the dots. You draw. You go from dot to dot. One, two, three. And the listeners would connect the dots and they would say, oh, that last o, that last omega. Oh, it it follows right on the heels of those first two omegas. All that to say is that they would hear that and they would think, oh, Peter is talking about that last day. When he says, in this, what does the, this refer to? The last time, the last day, the last time. So that's another reason if you want more, I can give you more of the service. I didn't want to uh, make your eyes cross this morning. But anyway, I think Peter's reminding them. They're in the midst of these trials. And he's saying, listen, these trials are causing you not to take comfort and joy in what's happening now because you can't. You have tears in your eyes. You're looking to that future salvation, that, that time when Christ will return. Well, that's the first benefit, the first glorious benefit of trials is they, in a sense, take force us to, to stop looking at the now and look up to the future and re- rejoice in that final salvation that is coming. In fact, I would say that this is an overarching theme here is that Peter is turning the, the attention of the believers to the future, to the coming salvation. This is essential to the Christian faith. If you just look at the now, you're going to be discouraged. You're going to lose hope. You've got to have your eyes with anticipation, waiting, looking for Christ to come and be anticipating that final salvation. Really, trials, what do they do? They they just provide the stark background, right? The stark, dark background against which the brilliance of our salvation is seen for its immeasurable value. If everything's going wonderfully, we don't have that stark background. But when trials come, they really bring out the beauty of our salvation. Kind of like stars in the sky. When the sun is shining, we don't see the brilliance of the stars. When it's dark nighttime, you go out, especially if you're outside of the city, you see the beautiful stars and the brilliance. Okay, let's go on to the next benefit. The first benefit, focus on final salvation. Second benefit in verse 7, each each of these verses, 6 through 7, have one benefit. And that is, you can see, genuine God-glorifying faith. Let's just read this verse together. So that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You can say this is the pinnacle of of these verses because Peter specifies the purpose of trials. Why are you going through trials? So that, let me tell you why, he says. And he says, let's do a comparison. Tested faith versus tested gold. All right, and I don't know how gold is tested, but I just, I'm kind of a visual person, so I begin to look into this and and gold is heated up and, the uh, impurities are burned off, right? And then what do you get? You get 24 karat, 100% gold. And that's what Peter is bringing to our attention. He's using an illustration. He's saying, think of the preciousness of pure gold. What would we do to get pure gold like this? Could you imagine the joy if you just found these in your home and you knew they were pure 24 karat gold bars? gold. Imagine the preciousness of gold. As we see, we struggle with the dollar. The dollar, you know, loses value overseas uh, against the euro. Gold, you know, is one of those uh, commodities that just seems to increase over time. And certainly it has. And I'm not giving any financial advice, by the way. Just, you know, observations. But... Imagine the preciousness of pure gold. And Peter's saying, you know what's more valuable than precious, pure gold tested by fire? And gold perishes, by the way, he says. Don't forget that. What's more valuable is your tested faith or the testing of your faith. In fact, his focus is on the testing of your faith. Not so much the faith itself, but the fact that it's tested and approved and genuine The process by which it's proven genuine. That's so precious. A friend of mine uh, uh, is a dentist, not in Albania, but here in America. And he always wanted to be a policeman. So he began to volunteer as a policeman. And one day as a volunteer policeman, his job, along with another volunteer policeman, was to go out and to take some some out-of-date flares, police flares, they just kind of they don't use them, so they, they have to go out and burn them. So he went to a remote site. He was burning them, following he and his other uh, volunteer policemen, burning them according to all regulations. And something took place where this this mass of burning flares uh, just built up into an explosive ball and it exploded, throwing him into the air, burning eighty percent of his body. And we got to meet him. A year or so after this had happened, and and he had almost lost his life. He had gone through multiple skin grafts, just horrible pain. Those of you who've been burned would know that, and just even burning, you know, your finger. And imagine 80% of your body. And he said it was the best experience for me. And the reason was this: is that as I grew up as a Christian, and I never knew anything else, and I believed as a child. I didn't know for sure, is my faith real? Is it genuine? Or am I just doing this because this is all I've learned? And God's been good to me. What would happen if I go through a, a tremendous trial? And he said, What the trial did was it tested his faith and it showed to him that it was genuine. And he was so he was so glad for the testing of his faith. And that's what that's what Peter is saying here. And he's saying is this, is that what matters is, of course, that we know our faith is tested, but on that final day, right? In verse 7, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You want to know, don't you? Don't you want to know? Is my faith, is it going to stand the test when Jesus looks at it on that final day? Is it going to result in Praise and glory and honor. That's all that matters. So Peter is saying, trials do that. Trials give you that assurance that your faith is going to stand the ultimate test. And it's going to result in praise, honor, and glory to the Lord Jesus when He comes. And that's all that matters. Well, let's go on. So we looked at Focus on final salvation. Second benefit, genuine God glorifying faith. Third benefit, a walk of love, faith, and joy. And he says, And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. What is he saying? What, what, why, why, why is he saying this? In fact, If you look at it, he's really giving three characteristics of the believers. He says they have faith or love, faith, put it in right order, love, faith, and credible joy. Real briefly, uh, Peter is not exhorting them. Did you notice that? He's not telling them to love. He's not telling them to have faith. He's not telling them to uh, have joy, to rejoice. He's telling them what they're doing. Now, why would He do that? Why would He tell a bunch of people, scattered all over, what they know better than He does? Because when you're in the midst of trials and things are dark and there's no hope, you need to be reminded of your wonderful salvation and the result of the new birth. Notice in, in verse uh, 3, when he talks about how we've been caused to be born again, he's, God has caused us to be born again. And he's telling them, look, in trials, your love, faith, and joy have risen to the surface. The result of God's saving work in your life is coming to light. And he's reminding them of the wonderful reality That even in the midst of tears, even in the midst of lack of hope in the situation, they still have love. They still have faith. They still have incredible joy. And and notice this. He says, he says, even though you've not, even though you've not seen him, you love him. How many of you have seen the Lord Jesus here? We're in the same category. None of us have seen the Lord Jesus like Peter had with our physical eyes. And Peter says, yet in the midst of trials, you love this person you've never seen. You love him. And you can say that. Now, are there ups and downs? Did the people, did the believers always have this great faith and great love and great joy? No. That's why they needed encouragement. They could be listening to lies, the lies of Satan, the lies of their own flesh. They needed to be reminded of the reality. They weren't seeing Jesus now even. He says, even though you don't see Him now, what are you doing? And these are all in the present tense. That means in a continuous, not necessarily uninterrupted, but just in a continual, continuous way, a consistent way. What described them? They weren't seeing the Lord Jesus, but they were believing in Him. Are you seeing the Lord Jesus? With your eyes. Do you see Him daily? No, we have not seen Him. We're not seeing Him. Yet we're believing in Him in the midst of trials. And we're rejoicing with a joy that's inexpressible. You can't put words to it. And it's a, it's a kind of joy, and I'm just going to say this briefly, that that is a taste of heaven. I think that's what he means when he says, full of glory it's really has been glorified literally it's a joy that has been glorified it's been it's like we get a taste of heaven a piece of heaven a joy that comes down into our hearts it's like a taste of glory it's that it's a glorious joy and he's telling them this is the reality when you're in trials these bright brilliant these brilliant realities of our salvation come to light okay because of sake of time Focus on final salvation, genuine God-glorifying faith, a walk full of love, faith, and joy. The fourth and final benefit. We'll move through, through these. John, if you remember, John talks about the blessed are those who have not seen him and yet believe. And here's a couple uh, uh, quotes. You can just look at those quickly and then I'll go on. Uh, and then uh, the fact that they were they were surprised to show us that th- this wasn't constant, uh, they were struggling at times they needed this encouragement, just like we all need this encouragement. The final benefit is this progressive and final salvation, verse nine obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. what does that mean aren't we aren't they already believers aren't they already saved aren't they already justified? So what does Peter mean by the salvation of your souls? He's When he says faith, where has he mentioned faith? Did you notice that? What verse so far? He started talking about about faith in what verse? Verse 7, right, you got that right, 7. You're all saying 7, right? Okay, Verse 7, what happens when our faith is tested? What's the final result of that? That kind of faith? It saves us. And what Peter is saying is, in a sense, is this. Okay, you're undergoing trials. And this kind of gets down into the uh, uh, the, the now and the future. What benefit is there in the now and in the future? He, he, he kind of encompasses them both in this short verse. When you are undergoing trials. Your faith is tested. Your faith is strengthened. That results in progressive salvation. It's actually God's means to grow us. And then it actually takes us to the very end, the the finish line. When I was a a young man, and uh, I used to uh, be a part of endurance sports, I was a swimmer and a runner. And I remember sometimes wondering, you know, has my coach lost his mind? He's, he's requ- requiring us to do these things. How can, that, how can we do that? And he always had in mind what? He always had in mind our strengthening. He always wanted to, to move us forward in, in gaining endurance so that we could not only run the race, but win it. And it's as if, it's as if Peter is saying, if he were right in today, he might tell us to think of trials... As a free gym membership. Some of you pay for a membership to work out, right? Some of you pay to work out. How many of you pay to work out? You really want to raise your hand here. You pay to work out. Well, God is saying, I've already enrolled you in my my gym. I'm your personal trainer, whether you like it or not. (laughs) You're going to go through these trials. And by these trials, you're going to be strengthened. And I'm going to take you to the finish line. That's what Peter is saying. That's what God is saying through Peter. Well, that's the fourth benefit. Real briefly, here's a picture of, especially in the middle, you have on the, the left-hand side, Chris and Shelley Steyer. They're ministering along with us. And then uh, Julie and I on the, the right-hand side. And in the middle, you have the three couples that are in leadership now and are being trained to be leaders, Albanian leaders in the church, especially the, the men in the back, the husbands. And they're in process, and we've left them for a couple months to do a trial run. And really, it's interesting, and I hope you guys love your pastors and your, your, uh, you bring them joy, because some of the greatest trials for these three men and their wives are coming from the church. Uh, they've gotten used to national leadership. Uh, they've gotten used to foreign missionaries being in leadership. I'm Sorry, in, international leadership. Gotten used to us. And so they're a little bit resentful, a little bit questioning the abilities of these couples. Are they qualified? So that one thing you could do is you could just pray. Pray for these Benny and Jane, Astrid and the Ratha, and Arta, and God... We'll correct your pronunciation as you're praying. Don't worry about that. (laughs) And you can pray for us. Uh, We have numerous trials, some that I can mention and some that I can't, Uh, but we're all in process. We're all either going through trials or going to go through trials. Are you a joyful member of God's gym? Let's pray. Father, how can we thank you enough for the amazing salvation from start to finish, to use the words of Paul, you've begun the good work and you're going to complete it. You're faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. And we have this blessed promise in the words of Peter through trials, that You're bringing us through them. You're using them. And there's so many benefits. So give us eyes of faith to see what You're doing in us, what You're doing through the trials, whether they be medical, economic, personal, relational, whatever they are. Oh, that we would look to that coming salvation, that final time, that last day, that our eyes would be fixed on that final salvation, that we would rejoice greatly, and we would give you our lives daily, and as we participate in this small offering, giving just a a small portion back to you, you deserve 100% of us. So we give to you gladly. We give to you really frugally in comparison with uh, the lavish, generous grace that you have poured out upon us. I thank you for Cornerstone. Thank you for the rich fellowship. Please continue to use this wonderful church and grow it, strengthen it through the trials that you are sovereignly orchestrating in the lives of the believers here. Pray this in your son's name and for his glory. Amen.